Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's Friday, February 17th, and oh, what a week continues on The Ben Jarofsky Show. This week with special guest, Rachel Jarofsky. That's right, people. You get two Jarofskys for the price of one. Stick around. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more from this guy, especially Ben Jarofsky. You got to head over to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Strategic Voter Friday, and here's why. Yes, 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 it's Friday. It's the end of the week. we got another Oh, What a Week. We have a special guest sitting in, in the vaunted dentist seat. Dr. D has moved on. Uh, so last week we had Pat Whalen. Uh, this week, I'm keeping it closer to home. I'm having my youngest daughter, Rachel Ray J, Rachel Jarofsky, comedian extraordinaire, who will be in town in a couple weeks with the comedy show with the other Rachel, Rachel P. I know it's confusing. If I, couldn't they just have another name besides Rachel uh, in the comedy act? Actually, there is a third comedian, and her name is not Rachel, as I understand it. Uh, so Rachel will be sitting in for the great Dr. D. But before I get to that, I got something on my mind I want to talk about before I bring Rachel on. We take a deep dive in some of the news, national and local. Uh, and this has to do with a phenomena that has been developing over the last couple of days. I've noticed this. My friends of uh, the leftist persuasion uh, and even not just uh, out-and-out lefties, but progressives and liberals. Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to do a whole show. I think I really the time has come for me to do a whole show on the difference between lefties, progressives, and liberals, and centrists. Throw them in the mix, because there's so much ignorance about these distinctions, not just nationwide, but in the city of Chicago, but they're playing out here in the city of Chicago. So for without burdening you too much with definitions of what a lefty is and what a liberal is and what a progressive is and what a centrist is, because I think you all kind of know, but you, you kind of use it interchangeably and stumble on yourself. Anyway, uh, lefties uh, think Bernie Sanders uh, and progressives think Hillary Clinton uh, are starting to get a little worried about Paul Vallis. And Paul Vallis, of course, is the former uh, school CEO, Daly appointee, Richard M. Daly, 90s, a former revenue department head under Daly, uh, who uh, has just drifted right in his political career uh, and has now decided he wants to be mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, so he's kind of like, we'll get into this a little later. He's trying to drift back left a bit, you know, not to be too far right in Chicago. It is a city that voted, uh, I think, 85% against Donnie Trump in the last presidential election. So you don't want to be too Trump. Uh, but he's Trump enough that he scares a lot of Chicagoans. And so clearly the strategy that uh, the campaigns that, let's see, the uh, Brandon Johnson campaign is employing this strategy, the Lori Lightfoot campaign is employing this strategy, and the Chewy Garcia campaign are employing this strategy is to try to convince the undecided liberal slash progressive slash lefty voter that their candidate has a better chance of defeating Paul Vallis. So it's no more about what people's positions on the issues of the day are, not that anybody, that there's really, it's kind of, not that anybody understands or pays attention to position papers anyway, and not that, that candidates will probably make good on all the promises uh, they're offering up now, as I learned the hard way in 2019 with Lori Lightfoot. No, no, no. Now it's all about we are the best candidate to beat Paul Vallis. So Paul Vallis has become the MAGA boogeyman. Ooh, be scared. Be scared, Chicago. Be scared of Paul Vallis. 
That's got some legitimate reason to be frightened of Paul Vallis. I lived through and covered, sent kids to school during the Paul Vallis era when he was running the schools. So I know what Paul Vallis is up to when you give him power, what he could do when you give him power. So it's interesting. So um, I got this uh, text today from Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who is the um, the alderman lefty, a legit lefty uh, from the 35th Ward, Logan Square area. And it was pointing out how Brandon Johnson is better positioned to defeat Paul Vallis than Chewy Garcia. They don't even consider uh, Lori Lightfoot because clearly the Brandon Johnson campaign has figured out that the, the votes they need to make the runoff are people who are right now leaning toward Chewy. If you could bring people who are leaning toward Chewy over to Brandon and you add that to the total that he already has, this is the strategy, they, the Brandon Johnson people, are convinced that Brandon will be in the runoff against Paul Vallis. Then they'll deal with that at a future time. Meanwhile, the Chewy Garcia people are telling, uh, putting out the same message, only they're saying Brandon is too radical. Chewy appeals to every man uh, in a way that Brandon doesn't. So they're sending their own message out. And Lori Lightfoot, of course, is playing the two game, uh, the same game, basically saying Brandon Johnson's way too radical for Chicago. <laughs> and then she's still trying to sell us on Chewy Garcia being somehow or other, I don't know what, corrupt for Chicago because there was campaign money given to him uh, by FTX, Samuel uh, Bankman fried oh, the owner of FTX, the corrupt crypto company, overlooking the fact that she, Lori Lightfoot, her administration invited uh, FTX to town to teach uh, literacy programs, uh, financial literacy to people. Wow. You know, that's classic Chicago, man. It's just like, they figure you, you're only half paying attention to the news at any given time. So they can get away with accusing Chewy of doing something that they were doing themselves because they're banking on you being kind of dumb. Anyway, so that's the strategy right now as we head down the final uh, two weeks toward the election. Everybody's pretty much convinced that Paul Ballas will be in the runoff. And the issue is who will be up there uh, against him. And the issue for undecided voters and voters who are progressive or lefty or liberal, whatever you want to call them, is uh, who is the candidate best positioned to beat Paul Ballas? Because they have an existential fear of letting a guy who got some MAGA tendencies uh, into City Hall. All right. Without further ado, we're going to go to O in a week. And I introduce my partner in crime for this show, Rachel Jarofsky. What's up, Dad? I want to say that I also survived. I also survived Paul Vallis. I was a CPS kid during his tenure as uh, CEO. Just the fact that, so, I, by the way, I feel like there's something not right about the Chicago public school system having a CEO. Like that just makes it feel like it's a corporation, and like that's not what it should be. You know what I'm saying, Dad? Like, but. Can we get a different name for CEO? It's like it makes me think money, money. You know what I mean? Like we're not this isn't it makes me think of like the monopoly man running public education. Like there's some, something wrong about a CEO of public education. You know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you why we got the name. Why? Yeah, and now here comes the history. You know. <laughs> School this me. Is like, this is like a car ride. Uh, I'm driving Rachel to a basketball game in the year 2003, and she mentioned something. And here comes the lecture. <laughs> Rachel and all her friends are in the back seat and go, "Here it comes." And then I swiftly begin disassociating, but I will pay attention this time. So it's it's called CEO in part because of Paul Vallis, or mainly right. because of Paul Vallis. So what, here's what happened. Uh, in night, and I'll try to really boil it down because I could go for a long, long time on this. But in 1995, uh, the people who run the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago decided it was a good idea to give all the power uh, to over the Chicago public schools to uh, Richard M. Daly. They, they, he was like the benevolent dictator who they decided would rule and reign over Chicago uh, forever and ever and ever. Okay, uh, so uh, they put him. They gave him complete control to name the members of the Chicago Board of Education who would become his rubber stamps and would approve any program he wanted. Uh, and they gave him complete control to name uh, the chief of the public schools who used to be called a superintendent, which is, to your point, more in line with like what schools are, a school superintendent. 
Uh, the the man uh, that uh, Daly wanted to uh, put in that position was Paul Vallis, who was his revenue director and would do whatever he said, would be a total rubber stamper. Uh, the problem was uh, Paul Vallis did not have the correct uh, educational credentials to be a superintendent. There were specifications that you had to have the correct. So, so classic Daly, uh, they had they changed the title and they made it a separate title. CEO. And sure. so that enabled them to put Vallis in, even though he didn't have the right educational credentials. And then they put, I think they called it like the uh, the deputy director in charge of education. They came up with some bureaucratic jargony title for somebody who was supposed to do uh, education stuff. So it's like, it's a school system. So the person who's going to be doing education stuff will be subordinate to the person who just does whatever the mayor wants. Paul Vallis. Not and it. so, but that also kind of like, like gave like uh, corporate Chicago like a real thrill. Because to your point, it was like, yeah, this is how you run a school system. You make it like a corporation, right? And, Great. And like it's beholden to uh, shareholders, and we're the shareholders. Harumph. Even though most corporations, by the way, don't do diddly for their shareholders. Just saying, neither here nor there. So uh, that is the history of. The so, CEO title. So basically, they created a new position to give an unqualified white man the job, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yep. Yep. It's called affirmative action for white yeah. men. Oh, and they deserve yeah. it. They deserve it. They work so hard. Oh, God. Yay for the commodification of students. Um, all the yeah. students are just like little green dollar signs. Uh, disgusting disgusting anyways you know what? and i'll just say this about that uh yes that's exactly what they're little green uh dollar signs but the students of chicago during your generation and, and millennials you know i love you you know i absolutely love you but it was not your finest moment back in the early o's most of you were like just kind of going along i like daily i don't know my parents like them uh, and uh, the only guy, I, uh, Miles Conflassen, shout out Miles, uh, was one of these dissident students from Whitney Young, Rach, in the early uh, O's, who stood oh. up in the five. Uh, yeah, I know. Big shout out. I didn't out. realize Miles was a dolphin. He is a dolphin. Yeah, mm -hmm. he is a dolphin. Uh, all right, enough talk of dolphins. Uh, first, before we take the the deep dive with the news, I uh, wanted to do a little promotion. You're coming to town, as I said before, with the great Rachel Pegram. Uh, and Karen Chi, exactly. We've got, uh, I'm coming to town. I'm doing a show <clears throat> with um, uh, Rachel Pegram, uh, great, great comedian, uh, TV writer. Um, she, she wrote, now I'm, now I'm running down her credits. You might have seen her, uh, her writing on uh, Blockbuster, a very fun sitcom on uh, Netflix. And also Karen Chi, who is a writer for, uh, for Seth Meyers. Um, so yeah, we, we got a pop and show coming your way, Chicago. We will be, uh, we will be at the Color Club which is a really amazing venue. Uh, shout out Sully woo -woo, at uh, 4146 North Elston. And we will be there March 18th. Um, March 18th, I believe. At, uh, let me just double check the time of my show. Because the last thing that I want to do is mislead the masses. Um, the masses of people that will absolutely be pulling up. But uh, yeah, we will be there March 18th at 8 p.m. Uh, and we potentially might be adding more shows if we sell out, which could happen. Um, so yeah, get after it. Get after us uh, to get tickets. Hit up my Instagram at RayJ3K, R-A-Y-J-A-Y-3K. Uh, tickets uh, will be linked in my bio or at very least my Instagram story. I might still need to put them in my bio, but it's going to be a great show. It's going to be a really great show. Uh, so come out. Um, what else can I tell you about me? Oh, yes, I am the uh, <laughs> brain behind the Benny J social media. So I'm coming out as uh, running <laughs> running uh, social media for the Benny J show. So anything you've liked, uh, you're welcome. You know what I'm saying? Um, we have fun. We have fun on that, Dad, don't we? Yeah, we have fun. Um, the general theme of these bits is uh, <laughs> clueless boomer. <laughs> uh like so there was the tw uh, the uh the trivia 
questions I got regarding uh, Rihanna and her uh, Super Bowl performance, which I actually saw, but uh, somehow or other, I don't. Did, I flunked all the. Uh, uh, so I I flunked the test. But what I did in the test, I, I re- reverted to my high school days. I was not the most outstanding of high school students, as I've told Rachel many times before. Uh, and so a lot of times I'd be unprepared coming into a test, and so I would try to wing my way out of it. You know what I'm saying, Rachel? Try to like calm my way out of the test right, to come right, up with right. creative answers that may or may not be. Uh, in the ballpark and i can uh, i can verify that these answers are uh, would be i would call them creative and unlike anything you've ever seen or heard so uh go to the ben Giroff, benny j show instagram if you want to see uh if you want to see your favorite ben Jarofsky, your beloved ben Jarofsky covering rihanna songs yeah um and, and also uh talking to my great that that's maybe the my favorite the one where i'm like uh trying to explain to my granddaughter uh what the bulls should be doing and what chicago voters should be doing and uh, it's actually not that much far from the truth as i was saying earlier I had this at a certain point i start uh, lecturing kids <laughs> no sure. matter how old they are You're taking sure. notes are not listening all right uh, rachel what, what what you got for the news what's your first news item uh, f- the news this week is uh, just as inspiring as you f- would think it'd be, uh, Nat. Um, no, uh, what are we working with today? Here's a headline out of the New York Times. Fox stars privately express disbelief about election fraud claims, calling it crazy stuff. Um, so this is a, a classic story. Newly disclosed messages and testimony from some of Fox News's biggest stars and most senior executives revealed that they privately expressed disbelief about President Trump's false claims that the 2020 election was stolen from him, even though the network continued to promote many of those lies on air. Now, Dad, you might be wondering, who are these stars? Who are these beloved Fox stars that were sort of just privately talking shit on Donald Trump's lies? And they uh, include none other than some of our fan favorites, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, that inspirational white woman, uh, as well as many others at the company. And and they were essentially just they were mocking uh, Trump advisors like Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani in text messages to each other weeks after the election. And of course, this all came to light because of a legal filing on Thursday by Dominion Voting Systems, you know, of the voting, the classic voting systems uh, company. And essentially Dominion is suing Fox for defamation because, you know, Fox was, you know, ranting on and on about, oh, the election was stolen. And of course, this looked bad for Dominion uh, Voting System as a company because, you know, it's it's their uh, it's their voting machines uh, that were being that were being used. So there's this huge lawsuit um, going on. And uh, yeah, so so major T, major T coming out of Fox News. And essentially, my takeaway, dad, is just like everyone hates each other at that company. You know what I mean? It's just like just like uh, mad penny petty energy coming out of Fox News. Even Rupert even Rupert Murdoch himself called Trump's voter fraud claims really crazy stuff. Like wow, this is a uh, the family the family drama truly truly getting aired out. I I can't say I'm surprised. How about you, dad? Well, I'm not surprised. There's a uh, I think it was Laura Ingram was test uh, texting back and forth uh with tucker carlson and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they were like they think they called somebody nuts and um so listen here's what's going on ladies and gentlemen uh fox was uh, willingly going along with the batshit crazy lies uh that rudy giuliani and Sidney powell and donald trump and donald trump's uh closest of supporters were putting out in the days and weeks after the uh, november uh, presidential election and the whole purpose of them putting out those lies was to try to convince MAGA that the election that Donald Trump lost was actually stolen for him even though there was no proof whatsoever of any theft uh, and they took a shot uh, as you said uh, at the vote uh, counting company who filed suit so they took him to suit uh, claiming defamation just like you said because there's a real practical uh, consequence 
for just making stuff up about corporations in this country. So I, I guess it's acceptable to say whatever you want about uh, Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or H Hillary Clinton or any FBI agent or any Justice Department official who's investigating Trump. But if you uh, take a, an attack on a corporation which hurts their bottom line, then they're going to come after you with a defamation suit on the grounds that uh, you owe them money because they've lost money. And so now Fox has to go into court and to defend the accuracies of their news reporting. And guess what? There is no accuracy to their news reporting. They were giving validation to bat shit crazy rants from lunatics who would say anything and do anything to support Donald Trump's attempt to win, quote unquote, an election that he lost. And so, yeah, they're going to pay for it. So now they're, uh, they've, through discovery, they un, uh, unveiled all these texts where the talking heads were acknowledging that they thought the people that they were giving serious credence to on the air were crazy. Mm -hmm. so they're playing it. Uh, they're playing a game there on their listener. They were showing you what they really thought about you, Fox. MAGA, I'm just telling you, these people that you worship, they think you're stupid. They think you're stupid because you worship them. They don't want to be with you. They don't want to be like you. They're playing to you like the lowest common denominator they have for you. That's what they're playing to. And it's working for them. They're fabulously wealthy. They're on TV. They're, they feel uh, empowered. They feel important. They say stupid stuff like Tucker Carlson's rant about M&Ms, which we had fun with. Uh, no, we did. Yes. Instagram page. Guys, Tucker Carlson is horny for M&Ms and he's allowed to be. Let him get off to some sexy M&Ms and high heels. He deserves it. Here's here's a pulled quote, Dad, just just for the listeners uh, from Tucker Carlson. Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. Uh, and then, of course, Laura Ingram responded. Sydney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. So those were just some of the things that um, that that uh, the uh, pundits at Fox News were saying quietly behind closed doors about uh, Trump's advisors. Yeah. And meanwhile, they were using what Sidney and Rudy said uh, to justify uh, changing laws that would make it harder uh, for Democrats to vote, particularly uh, black Democrats, uh, under the guise that there was corruption and cheating in a campaign when there was none. Uh, they were using what they said as justification for not uh, supporting the electors that were sent, uh, th whose votes would have confirmed uh Joe Biden as president, they were using what Sidney Powell and uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani said to put pressure on Mike Pence uh, to overturn the election. They were using what they said uh, to uh, fire up the insurrectionists to attack the Capitol and try to uh, force again Pence at the th with the threat of hanging him to give the election to Trump. They were using everything they said to put pressure, Donald Trump making the phone calls himself, to election officials in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, to flip those uh, swing states. So they may have been privately saying, these people are crazy, these people are full of it, but they were treating uh, what they were saying as gospel and using it to justify uh, their assault on that election. And furthermore, we're still feeling the effects of that. There are still efforts by MAGA people uh, in, in MAGA land to change election laws. They're kind of retreating from it. It's going to be interesting how close Ron DeSantis, when he uh, really moves into gear uh, with his election, uh, with his campaign, and Nikki Haley, when they really move into gear running against Donald Trump, how close uh, will they cling to these fantasies? knowing, of course, that they are fantasies, that it's drivel that uh, Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, et cetera, and so forth, made up. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, Rach, I feel um, that uh, it's always good to have the curtain pulled. I'm not sure it'll matter to MAGA. They seem impervious to any, any kind of evidence. 
to, although it's this is interesting. Whenever a MAGA person, the insurrection, I don't know if you've been following this. Whenever an insurrectionist comes before a judge on a sentencing for uh, overtaking the Capitol uh, and uh, is facing like, I don't know, two, three, four years in prison, they always blame it on Trump. Hmm. Like there was a story now uh, where the Proud Boys want to uh, subpoena Trump, make him come testify uh, in their court case. They always blame Trump. You know, well, I, I was I was only doing this because Donald Trump, I believe the president. I was just following the president's orders, like a Nuremberg defense. I was just following orders. Sure, sure. <laughs> like Donald Trump is giving you an order to overtake the Capitol. So uh, when push comes to shove, you know, it's funny, but. Donald Trump bragged that uh, MAGA will follow him even if he murders someone on the uh, Fifth Avenue in New York right out in the open. But eh, I'm seeing with these uh, sentencing hearings, there's limitations to how far uh, MAGA will follow Donald Trump. Doesn't take much. Doesn't take much to flip and suddenly be like, I don't know him. That's a proud voice <laughs> to Donald Trump. I, I don't know him. Um <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, so, and here's here's the thing. Godspeed to Dominion in their efforts. You love to see uh, corporations being treated like people. Shout out Citizens United for that beautiful ruling that <clears throat> is allowing corporations to really just get theirs in the end. Uh no, although I don't, I don't hate seeing Dominion two corporations going after each other and kind of, you know, if it, if it means an ultimate uh, implosion or explosion, we should say, just Fox and Dominion somehow going up in flames. Um, the government's probably listening in on this recording as we speak, just based on all the things I've said. All right, moving on to a piece of local news, Tom Tunney. Uh, cinnamon roll, may, cinnamon roll, uh, ex, extraordinaire, uh, cinnamon roll business tycoon. This is a man who has made his, 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 uh, wealth in, 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 uh, Andersonville cinnamon rolls. People are like, we know who he is. Uh, that's more a reminder for myself. I've been out of Chicago for a bit, but here's interesting. Uh, local alderman, Tom Tunney has offered up a video endorsement of Paul Vallis that's supposed to undercut fears that Vallis is transphobic, anti-abortion, uh, MAGA fanatic who worships Donald Trump. And, you know, this is obviously a reasonable fear given some of his current alliances. Um, but now it looks like Vallis is racing in another direction. Dad, I know you are just bursting at the seams with things to say about this. Let's come, come drag Tom Tunney right quick. Okay, so Tom Tunney is, uh, as Rachel said, the owner of Ann Sather's. Uh, their specialty is cinnamon rolls. He's also the alderman of the 44th Ward. Uh, has been since I want to say about 2002. Uh, he was a daily appointee, Richard Ann Daly, the, one, the same guy who uh, had the state change the law so that Paul Vallis could be his CEO, uh, filled a vacancy when Bernie Hansen stepped down, uh, and appointed Tom Tunney, uh, and it was treated like it was a, a, a great movement uh, for human rights because uh, Tom Tunney is openly gay, so he became the first openly gay uh, alderman in the Chicago City Council, uh, and uh, that uh, uh, pretty much cemented not that there was any doubt that Daly was uh, ever not going to get all the votes out of the 44th Ward uh, because the 44th Ward like front ward pretty much uh was playing along with the same like overall psychology in chicago at the time uh, any predominantly white ward in the city of chicago was bowing down to daily uh, for fear that uh if they didn't do that uh, another harold washington would emerge so it's really unlikely that people in the 44th ward would vote for uh in great numbers for anybody other than daily but by appointing Tom Tunney uh, to fill that vacancy and ushering in Tom Tunney's career, uh, Daly pretty much assured he had the 44th Ward's uh, votes. Uh, all right. So Paul Vallis, uh, as I said earlier, uh, has been flirting with MAGA for a lot of years. And um, uh, so he's very vulnerable on the issue of whether he is actually a Republican or a Democrat. There's video out now of an interview he gave uh, with a uh, cable TV uh, 
host saying uh, that uh, he considers himself a Republican. There's uh, questions out about uh, his uh, support of abortion, whether he believes women have a right to choose. Uh, and then there's uh, lots of issues about his attitude about trans people because he spoke at Awake, uh, Awake Illinois, which is a transphobic group uh, out in the suburbs that's trying to do to the suburban school systems of Naperville, et cetera, and so forth, what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida. Uh, and uh, that is what weaponizing uh, their powers to work against trans people and punishing teachers who dare to uh, like have books that with gay related themes, et cetera, and so forth. So, uh, Desperate to try to assure Chicagoans that he's not a MAGA man, he turned to Tom Tunney, uh, and Tom Tunney produced the following uh, commercial. And uh, so, Chris, uh, why don't you play uh, the commercial, Tom? Hi, I'm Tom Tunney, Chicago's first openly gay alderman representing the great Lakeview community. I'm here today at the Center on Halsted, the heart of Chicago's LGBTQ plus community. Ever since being elected alderman in 2003, I've worked hard to uplift the LGBTQ plus Chicago community. And I'm especially proud of the work we did to open the center on Halsted and its neighboring LGBT senior housing that is a model for the nation. Today, I wanna to talk about why I've endorsed my friend Paul Dallas as mayor of the city of Chicago. Paul is a Chicagoan who has already made innumerable contributions to our city as its budget director and CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. Paul Vallis has been a passionate ally to our community for decades with a track record of significant contributions to the LGBTQ plus civil rights movement that goes back to the early 90s. Paul Vallis is a lifelong pro-choice Democrat running to guarantee that Chicago will always be a safe haven for anyone seeking reproductive care. As mayor, Paul has a plan to support the very important work that we're doing right now to make sure all neighborhoods are safe for residents and visitors alike. Whether you're walking your dog or enjoying a night out on the town, Paul is going to make sure that our streets are safe at all hours of the day and the evening. I've done my homework and I'm confident Paul Vallis is the best choice for mayor to lead all of Chicago moving forward together. Please exercise your responsibility to vote by mail, early vote, or in person on February 28th for Paul Vallis as mayor of the city of Chicago. Wow. Anyone so, seeking reproductive care? I don't know. That seemed Weasley to me, Dad. Yeah, reproductive care. Not abortion access, yeah. reproductive care. Yeah. What are you saying? I'm Finish. saying that it's like, I feel like if if this the situation where we don't, there's a situation where no one really knows where Paul Vallis stands on everything. And he's kind of and uh, himself an unreliable narrator. Um, and so they get this white corporate gay man. And, and I say this as a gay myself, just in case identity politics folks out there are like, well, hold on one second. I just want to give myself the green light to uh, to go in on uh on on tom tunney by the way uh you're sending the rosé shit dog they're not the best in the city you're not the best in the city but my point is this is like i think that they're the cement there it's it's interesting wording that is kind of vague and is still not an all-out assertion of how Paul Vallis actually feels about abortion access in Illinois, because reproductive care can mean anything. It doesn't necessarily have to mean the inalienable right to an abortion if a person needs it. Yeah. And uh, it covers up some of uh, Tom Tunney's own uh, ambivalent attitudes uh, on this subject. Uh, Tom Tunney, as an alderman, uh, drew the consternation of uh, abortion rights groups uh, during the Rom years when he voted for a, a TIF funding uh, for a health care operation that was vehemently anti-abortion. This was a huge fight, big fight. Uh, I forget when it went down. Sometime, I think, in Rom's second term. And it was one of the few times where the Chicago City Council uh, was about to vote against 
uh, to a Rahm Emanuel initiative. I think it was $5 million uh, that they wanted to give to this anti-abortion uh, uh, health service. And uh, Tani voted for the TIF funding. The local alderman in that case, Brendan Riley, was against it. So folks out there who think that a local alderman have control in battles with the mayor, I think this would be exhibit A uh, to counter that argument. Uh, and uh, Terry Cosgrove, good friend of the show, leader then of Personal PAC, uh, raised opposition to it. Was it the first time Terry ever got involved in a TIF fight? Uh, and I don't think Terry has ever forgiven Tom Tunney uh, for that vote. Uh, on that TIF deal. So Tom Tunney is not exactly the person I would turn to to be a uh, defender of abortion rights. And you're right, that's weasel language. Definitely. You want to come language. out and say it's weasel language. You don't want to come out and say Paul Vallis supports abortion rights because you're afraid it's going to turn off his MAGA supporters. So you do that weasel language instead of coming right out and saying it. And then the other thing, Rachel really gets me, and it's only because I'm so old and have been around for so long, and I remember so many fights. This notion, he, I think he said, uh, he's been like uh, on the at the front line, something like that, on the uh, working with the civil rights movement. I had a laugh. Listen, Paul Vallis, you could say he's an adept bureaucrat. You could say he's a clever uh, bean counter. You can say uh, that he himself uh, will win you over by talking obsessively so that after a while you just quit and give up and walk away and go, whatever you want, Paul. You could say he's a clever manipulator in the media because when he was the head of the, the Chicago public schools, he had reporters eating out of his hands. But one thing he is not has been an advocate for civil rights, for gay people, any people. Paul Vallis, when he was the head of C when he was the CEO to Chicago Public Schools, ordered a teacher on the south side of Chicago to take from her curriculum a book, a novel, a coming-of-age novel by April Sinclair called Coffee Will Make You Black. And the theme of this book was the young narrator discovering that she was a lesbian. And the teacher thought it would be something that some of her kids could identify with. It was a popular young adult book. And Paul, Paul Vallis got a complaint. Uh, I believe it was from a minister, a conservative member of the black community, and he yanked it. This is like Ron, San Ron DeSantis stuff. Mm -hmm. He just yanked it right out of the, uh, the curriculum to order her not to teach it. And of course, I wrote about it because <laughs> who else would write about stuff like that but me? So I'm like, here we are what, 30 years later, 25 years later, and Tom Tunney, a daily appointee to the city council, uh, extolling the virtues of Paul Vallis, another daily appointee to the Chicago city council, somehow on the grounds so of to be on the cutting edge of what, gay rights, mm -hmm. reproductive care, won't even say abortion, can't right. quite say it. This is the same Paul Vallis who over the summer went to uh, a meeting in Naperville of Wake, Illinois, which is one of the most vehemently uh, transphobic groups in the state that is uh, parroting Ron DeSantis' efforts to uh, strip any kind of gender discussion out of a classroom, tell teachers what they can teach. So... Listen, it came down to the safety issue at them. Then that's that basically is Paul Vallis's bread and butter. People are scared crime, uh, of crime. They're going to turn to Paul Vallis. And that essentially is uh, the meat of the matter. That's what Tom Tunney ultimately uh, re returned to. But I had a hard time with that one, Rage. And, yeah. And, and, and furthermore, Tom Tunney, I know we got to keep it moving and also grooving, but Tom Tunney is a rich man first a white man second and a gay man maybe third you know what i mean like in a capitalist nation like ours i always feel like it's your socioeconomic footing that's going to leave the greatest input on one's identity like for me i'm a worker first and a bisexual icon second you know what i mean wait a jew a jew second bisexual icon third i just feel like it's it, all too commonly it, it, tom tony's thinking about 
Tom Tunney got to the money and now he's thinking about uh, multiplying the money. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't really care about the working class trans folks who need uh, who could use universal health care to cover their uh their t- their testosterone or their estrogen you know what i mean like it's just i think that it's so thinly veiled um and we see this far too often is getting these getting these um rich talking heads who happen to have one aspect of a marginalized identity in their overall identity as a human being to do the bidding of 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 shitty politicians like Paul Vallis and and it happened you know we see it with Trump all the time gays for Trump these these lunatics in cowboy hats who just care about tax cuts you know it's it's just like seen it once see it saw we'll see it again I'm not falling for it and your cinnamon rolls are overrated next you know what I'm saying all right, should we move on, Dad? Yes, let's move on. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so okay, here we go. Headline two or three, rather, out of the New York Times: A new goal for abortion bills: punish or protect doctors. This is a. I'm going to warn everyone. This is one of our more uh, depressing headlines of of the week on Oh What a Week. But okay, so you know, ever since the Supreme Court uh, incinerated Roe v. Wade, just lit that piece of important uh, his, that historical ruling on fire. Um, we're seeing a number of elected legislators around the country come into session and put forth polar put forth uh, um, around three. 300 bills in nearly 40 states um, that are sought, that are aimed at either restricting access to abortion or strengthening it. Now, Dad, do you want to hear the uh, restricting bills first or do you want to hear the strengthening bills first? Let's get the bad news out of the way. So uh, first, so go with restricting. Okay, bad news. The general thing that we're looking at here is that nearly three dozen bills uh, that have been put forth in various legislators around the country are aimed take take fire at doctors who are and 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 point the finger of blame at doctors and seek to punish them. For example, a bill in Wyoming, doctors and nurses, a bill in Wyoming states that doctors and nurses who perform abortions or prescribe medication for abortions could face up to five years in prison. So, you know, essentially every every doctor and nurse west of the Mason-Dixon line is 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 uh, is it needs to be careful. They'll they any sort of abortion care that they're potentially um, providing could get them locked up. They're about to be behind bars locked up. They won't let me out. You know, it ain't safe. It ain't safe. Dad, you love that song. Yeah, I do. And uh, I have been known to sing that song at coming home from bowling where it's played. And I am not going to tell you who sings it because I can't remember who sings it. And I don't want to get it wrong and have people make fun of me again. Is they're making fun of me? <laughs> but I believe his name is Akon. Akon. Yeah. Akon. And I'm going to put you on blast. He, my dad did call him Acorn earlier today. When we were going did, through this, it was a moment of weakness, ladies and gentlemen. It was just a moment of weakness. Ugh. So that's Wyoming doctors and nurses who perform abortions could face up to five years in prison. In Nebraska, where abortion is currently legal until until twenty two weeks after a woman's last menstrual period, there's been a bill put forth to make it illegal after around six weeks, and would strip doctors who perform abortions of their medical licenses if they perform one abortion after detecting cardiac activity on an ultrasound. So first of all, about this bill, Dad, I want to say the current iteration of this Nebraska bill is petty. 22 weeks after a woman's last menstrual period. Why are we having the government uh, clock women's menstrual cycles you know what i mean that just doesn't feel normal that feels that feels like big government big brother i don't need big brother you know checking my diva cup every month you know what i mean like that's these we nebraska's checking for women's menstrual cycles more closely than both of my jewish grandmothers were checking for mine back in eighth grade before i'd gotten my first period you know they were calling my 
famously, both of my Jewish grandmothers calling my mom. Did it happen yet? Did it happen for Rachel? It was mortifying. It was so embarrassing for me. Women don't want people like, you know, tracking their flow. That's it's that's it's none of your business. It's none of your business. So that's a that's another particularly depressing uh, bill out of Nebraska. And then the last piece of just depressing um, anti-choice legislation comes out of Iowa, that uh, corny state, uh, where abortion is currently uh, legal at 22 weeks, also after women's last menstrual period. But a new bill would make it a felony for doctors or anyone else to distribute abortion pills, um, and this would be punishable by up to 10 years in jail. Um, now, the bill would not penalize women who take or obtain the pills, so I guess that's good. Um, but yeah, just kind of trash legislation coming from all corners of the country. What do you, what do you got? What do you think, Dad? Well, all right. Uh, this is one of our favorite topics on this show, and um, so. All right. Uh, the Dobbs decision that came down, I think it was in June, ultimately came out, was leaked before uh, it was uh, released. Uh, but I believe in June or July of the summer uh, became a decisive factor in the Democrats' surprisingly strong outcome in the uh, November midterms. If you recall, before Dobbs, general predictions were that the Republicans would sweep, they would uh, uh, take control of the Senate, and they would have a huge majority in the House. Well, they uh, thanks to the ineptitude of Democrats in New York, they did take control of the House, but it's a very uh, slender lead uh, in the House. Uh, and the Democrats maintain control of the Senate uh, in part because of a backlash to the Dobbs ruling, which obliterated Roe. Uh, as Rachel said, it took away uh, the protections that Roe had for women uh, seeking an abortion. And so now it's pretty much left uh, to every state. Uh, they, each state can decide how restrictive they want to be, or as we're going to hear in a little while, uh, how welcome they will be uh, to women seeking abortions. You would think, you would think uh, that MAGA, which is the Republican Party now, seeing the results of the November midterm, uh, would back off on their obsession out outlawing abortion. But no, MAGA has uh, turned over its uh, party line on this issue of abortion rights to the most extremist anti-abortion zealots in the country. They write the laws for MAGA. And so if your state is run by Republicans, this will be the laws that govern your state. They're going down with this. And so uh, it will be, again, very interesting to see how that plays out uh, in the 2024 cycle as states uh, it's a lot of uh, the Democrats will be coming up for re-election. If the Democrats are going to hold on to the Senate, they have to uh, defend a lot of seats in the Senate. And these will be the kind of bills, these will be kind of issues that will be forces in those Senate races. And additionally, if Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis uh, want to win over, or Donald Trump for that matter, I guess I can't rule him out completely. Uh, want to win over uh, voters to win in states like Georgia and Arizona and Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, the famous swing states. Uh, they're going to have to think about how extreme they go on this issue because the zealots aren't going to let them off. And so the zealots are going to keep pushing, uh, pushing, pushing, pushing wherever they have the ability, uh, wherever they have authority, wherever they have the majority to institute these impositions uh, against abortion. And the way they're doing it, uh, Rach, is they're going after doctors. Yep. Because their thinking is that if they start punishing women who get abortions, they will lose all of the middle ground. There, no swing voters will go for them. You know, I think MAGA would be happy throwing women into jail for having an abortion, but they worry about the viability of statewide in of their candidates in statewide elections. Uh, so they need to find uh, somebody that they can punish as opposed to punishing the women who actually get the abortions. And so they're going to go after the doctors. I guess they feel they can get away with it. Uh, so, so as I watch the politics of abortion play out in this country, I feel as though 
they're making the same mistake they made uh, in 2022 at the midterms, politically speaking. Uh, they are bowing down to the zealots. The zealots are out of touch with what I believe are the majority of people in this country on this issue. Uh, and I think ultimately they'll pay a price for it at the polls. And you know what? I don't care. Ooh. <laughs> Uh-oh. He says, don't care. <laughs> don't care. If you guys all lose, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, you're going to be ducking and dodging. I can hear Nikki Haley be ducking and dodging on this one. Oh, God. Uh, and she tries as the campaign. I don't care. You guys, you're so, you're so abhorrent to me anyway. It's just like, if this is what brings you down, so be it. Uh, but it's a scary moment for like women in Alabama and Texas, yeah, and very Mississippi scary. and Missouri or wherever MAG is in Nebraska. It ain't safe. It ain't safe. Well, one place that it actually is safe is uh, in Hawaii. Here's here's the, some uh, positive some positive news on the pro-choice side. In Hawaii, a bill was put forth that will allow physician assistants to perform abortion. So we're just widening access in general. And you know what I have to say about allowing physician assistants to perform abortions, Dad? I think it's great because you love to see the bench riders getting in the game. You know, you love to see the G League folks getting a chance with the scalpel. Uh, you know, physician assistants are looking at the state legislators like, put me in, coach, I got hoop dreams. It's very cool. It's very, it's very uplifting. Get, give, give the physician assistants a chance. You know, just, I, I'm assuming they're qualified. Let's not give anyone a chance. You know what I mean? Like, let's keep front desk staff out of, uh, out of the abortion out of the abortion uh, providing uh, lane, but but I I trust the physician assistants to really uh, to really um, uh, to really uh, properly uh, terminate an unwanted pregnancy, um, and uh, and lastly uh, another another pro choice uh, law that was put into play or a bill that was. Um, offered up in Hawaii, uh, shields doctors and patients from out-of-state subpoenas relating to reproductive health, uh, as well as precludes doctors who perform abortions from losing their medical licenses, which is uh, similar to a bill that was recently signed right here in Illinois, right, Dad? Yeah, uh, Illinois is, uh, like Hawaii, uh, a sanctuary for abortion rights uh, It's because it's got a Democratic uh, House of Representatives, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic uh, pro-choice uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker, who's not like Paul Vallis or Tom Tunney, you know, like a flag in the wind blowing which this way, uh, this way or that way. A little pressure. Oh, I'll go anti-abortion. <laughs> I don't like to, I don't like to stick my neck out too much. But I just want to say something about the uh, physician assistants uh, remark you made. Uh, any letters or uh, calls or complaints should be directed <laughs> to Rachel, not me. I did not say that. The views and no. opinions of Rachel are Rachel. It's not the Ben Jarofsky show. I'm sure you're more than qualified. And I was just, I was telling you briefly before we went on air, there's a great documentary called The Janes, which I urge everybody to watch. Uh, and it talks about um, the, uh, the underground uh, society of women who uh, performed abortions, allow women to get abortions uh, in Chicago during what, the late 60s and early 70s before Roe, when it was still very much illegal. Uh, and they were very much exposed. They, they were arrested, thrown into jail. Uh, but it's one of the like darkly comic moments of a very sobering, uh, but also inspiring movie uh, was when the, um, the women who uh, oversaw uh, these clinics which were, by the way, like in people's apartments, you know, it was a totally underground uh, situation, talked about how ultimately they were performing the abortions. Uh, and they were talked about the first abortion provider. What a character this guy was. Uh, it, it, this guy's by no means a feminist. Who was, they thought he was a doctor. He wasn't even a doctor. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so he taught them how to uh, perform abortions, and they performed them. So it's... it's um, it's it's like I said, one of the more inspiring moments. Uh, well, it's an inspiring movie, but it's one of the funnier moments of the movie. But yeah, so this is the other side of the coin that I was talking about. So uh, as MAGA states uh, allow themselves to uh, play to the most anti-abortionist uh, uh, characters uh, in the po political terrain, uh, states like Illinois, 
it is uh, the pro-choice people. It is. Are, uh, yeah, they're they're putting that flag in it. You can. Ha- we are going to preserve the right of people, women to get abortions in this state. You can come to this state. That was going to. That's another battleground, Rage. Like, will Texas prosecute a woman who comes to Illinois uh, to get an abortion? Will Texas prosecute somebody who the Uber driver who drives the woman from Houston to the airport so she can fly to Chicago to get an abortion? You know how far. Will the MAGA anti-abortionists go uh, in their movement to restrict uh, access of women to abortions? We can see abortions have declined in the MAGA states uh, post-Dobbs. There's been stories about that because essentially it's closed clinics in throughout the states like Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and so um, this is the next front uh, of this uh abortion fight again the supreme said it's up to the states and so if it's up to the states if you have a uh, a democratic state like illinois or hawaii it's going to be abortion rights if you have a republican state like missouri or texas uh they're going to rest- they're it's going to be outlawed and they're going to start trying to throw doctors into prison uh and so ultimately i got a feeling uh right that it'll come back to the uh, the feds ultimately it'll be either like a national law Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. will um, make it uh, legal for abortions throughout the country. You know, the Democrats will prevail on that front. They don't have the votes now. They can't do it because they don't have the House. Uh, and um, or God help us all. It goes the other way. If Maggot seizes control of the Senate in 2024, holds on to the House uh, and uh, elects Ron DeSantis president, It'll go the other way, and there'll be a, a you watch. There'll be a law, a national law banning abortions or severely restricting them. Knock on wood. But in the meantime, Dad, I just want to get on the record and say that physician assistants are more <laughs> qualified and medically skilled than I will ever be, and I would let them terminate my unwanted pregnancy any day of the week. Oh, man, Moving on. <laughs> backtracking there. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our final uh, little piece of news. Start spreading the news. Ron DeSantis is coming to Elmhurst, Elmhurst, a suburb that I've never set foot in. But did they allow Jews to move there? For some reason, I'm thinking no. no um, that's actually not true. You've been in Elmhurst. You when would, have you, I been to Elmhurst? There's a high school in Elmhurst called York High School, and you ran yes. and uh, uh, <laughs> You just didn't know it was Elmhurst, okay? You never knowingly went to Elmhurst. Did uh, did Elm? Did I feel like going forward, anytime a su- a Chicago suburb is referenced, we should we should say whether or not they allowed Jews to move there. Elm Elmhurst. Uh, Elmhurst. Well, okay, now yes. Uh, I would say back in the fifties. Mm, you know, okay. no, no. here's a better way of doing it. When oh. did they allow Jews to move there? Well, okay. I'm, this is, I'm on shaky uh, grounds here because my knowledge of Elmhurst is really weak. So it's not like my knowledge of, let's say a North shore suburb, which I have more knowledge of because I'm from Evanston. So like Kenilworth, I can tell you, oh yeah, they didn't, they were not open to Jewish people in Kenilworth. Right. But Elmhurst, I just have this general feeling, you know, that it may have been like in the forties. Okay. Like All a right, lot that's... of murmuring, but I don't think they were as openly. I don't think they were as openly hostile as folks in Kenilworth. Kenilworth has a reputation just to be the most openly hostile uh, North Shore suburb uh, to Jewish people. That was like the reputation it had when I moved. My family moved to Evanston. Uh, in, in 1966, there was like when Jewish people get together, they'd be talking about which suburbs, you know, like <laughs> had the attitude. So, like, there were some suburbs that were openly, like, welcoming Jews. So, like, Highland Park, Lenko. And then there were others, like, Winnetka. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, uh, Kenilworth, uh-uh. Like, right. Forth, nip, sorry. So, Elmhurst <laughs> is okay. Parts of North Evanston. Don't act like you're above it all, Evanston. And now, how about black people? When did uh, Elmhurst allow black people to move there? Um, you're like to be to be determined um no i i we're really jumping on elmhurst here they have great could you just give a shout out to the elmhurst cross-country programs let's say something positive unbelievable cross-country programs in elmhurst yes at any rate 
Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, is coming to Elmhurst. Uh, and uh, it looks as though Paul Vallis is uh, going to be doing a flip-flop as he tries <laughs> to assure Chicagoans he's, in fact, not a DeSantis fan. Dad, you are literally – you're you're turning purple. You have so much to say. No, Talk I to mean, us. Yeah. Uh, have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Flipper, which is about the dolphin that can do backflips? That's Paul Vallis right now. He's Flipper. He's flip-flopping <laughs> all over the place, backtracking. He's backtracking more – uh then uh, rachel did on that physical uh physical <laughs> joke uh and uh again remind you voters of chicago all throughout the summer paul vallis i don't know this man it was completely clueless was making overtures to awake illinois uh which is one of the most vehemently uh transphobic groups in the state of illinois it was uh uh allies with the fraternal order police and their trump loving president john catanzara uh and uh had uh given an interview well the interview was a few years ago uh where he said he's he's basically a republican so paul Vallis was uh in the land very much in the land of maga uh and uh he he uh he i guess he thought that um I don't know what he was thinking. I can't go into the, the mind of Paul Vallis. But here we are, fast forward, and we're on the eve of uh, a mayoral election in a city, which, as I've said many times, is overwhelmingly Democrat, voted against Donald Trump to the tune of roughly 85% of the, the, the residents, voted against Aaron Bailey, uh, voted against Bruce Rauner, is not sympathetic to MAGA, to put it mildly. So he sewed up the MAGA vote. He's got it. It's his. All you want, you want any evidence? Just go up to the northwest side or the southwest side of Chicago where Donald Trump got most of his votes and take a look and see which signs predominate in those areas. You're not going to see a lot of uh, Brandon Johnson signs up there. You're not going to see a lot of Lori Lightfoot or Chewy Garcia or Cam Buckner signs up there or Sophia King. You're going to see Paul Vallis. So he's one MAGA, but he can't win citywide. He can't win citywide if he goes all MAGA. So now he's pulling back. So Ron DeSantis, this is interesting. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, whose positions on things like masking, children masking during the height of the pandemic, uh, parallel Paul Vallis's, his position on uh, things like whether children should have to take uh, a vaccine to get into the classroom or teachers get a vaccine, parallel Paul Vallis. Uh, his position on parental rights and anti-teachers union rhetoric parallels Paul Vallis. But Paul Vallis has figured that Ron DeSantis is, what, detrimental to winning citywide. So Paul Vallis, even though he has a lot in common with Ron DeSantis, and even though he was openly wooing Ron DeSantis-type voters through up leading up to this campaign, is now pulling back. He sent out a uh, a statement saying he abhors Ron DeSantis uh, and he doesn't want anything to do with him. And he's uh, disappointed that the Fraternal Order Police, who supported, who he was a consultant for, who uh, President John Catanzara, he's palled around with, uh, are, have invited Ron DeSantis to Elmhurst. Always, always, you know, it's like Paul Vallis. We went to Naperville. We talked about that a lot for the Wake Illinois meeting. Like they always go to like the suburbs, you know. Like, well, we're more at home in the summer. Ron DeSantis will be. I think there's parts of Chicago that would welcome Ron DeSantis again. Trump got 15 percent of the vote, but no, they're going to go out to Elmhurst. Uh, and so that's uh, where DeSantis will be. So he's he's making it clear. He's drawing a line in the sand. You know, yes, I may have the Fraternal Order Police's endorsement. And yes, I may have been a consultant for them. And yes, I may uh, are buddies with uh, their Trump-loving president. But I'm running for mayor of the city of Chicago. The election's in two weeks. And after that, if I make the prime, if I make the runoff, I'm going to have to go citywide. I can't be seen as a Ron DeSantis supporter. So I'm going to pull a flipper. Flip flop. That's the sound <laughs> of, of Paul Vallis doing. I don't know a flipper. Maybe like a gymnast, like a great gymnast doing a backflip. I don't want to name any names because one of these gymnasts would be irritated that I associate them with uh, Ron DeSantis. But that's what's going on. Uh, will it work? Will he hold on to that MAGA support even though he is uh, distancing himself from uh, Fraternal Order Police? I believe he will.
I don't believe he'll lose one MAGA vote over that. MAGA's like, eh, yeah, I, we know you just got to play the game, but that secretly you love us. Now, will he win over those Tom Tunney centrists? You know, will this be enough? <sighs> I think that's the question we'll be asking for like the next month as this election unfolds. So there we have it, Rach. That's all the news. That is correct. That is correct. That's everything we got. All right. One more time. Tell folks, where will you be in Chicago and when? Go ahead. I will be March, Saturday, March 18th at the Color Club. That's Saturday, March 18th at the Color Club. Uh, at 8 p.m., I will be performing with uh, Karen Chi of uh, of Seth Meyers, Rachel Pegram, um, a, a TV writer with many credits that I'm too lazy to name, at 8 p.m. <laughs> on March 18th at the Color Club. Do we need, Dad, do you think folks need an address for the Color Club? Uh, no, just... Uh... We have a very sophisticated uh, listenership. They know how to use the internet. They'll look it up. All right, perfect. Uh, and... Follow me on Instagram one time. You'll get all the information. All right, very good. Thank you very much, Rach. And uh, also want to thank uh, producer Chris, who did an outstanding job uh, when he came coming right in and right on time uh, with the Tommy Tunney uh, commercials. So uh, producer Chris, as I always say, keep yourself raised, take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. And remember, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. And find more from Ben Jarofsky all over the internet on all your favorite podcasting and streaming platforms.